Well, welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. This is me, William, your host. As as always, I hope you're well. I am okay, I think. It's the summer equinox right this second, the 21st of June. But the longest day, this is a wonderful thing. We've reached the longest day. Normally, would I be at Glastonbury? I don't know. Would you be at Glastonbury? Oh, I don't even know. I don't even know. But it's what's really weird. It, I, I was with a friend in the park this afternoon. And we were chatting. We were saying, "What happened? Like four months? It's been nearly. It's been six months since I've seen him, and it feels like when was the last time I saw? Him? Oh, it was New Year's New Year's Eve. I mean, that's six like six months ago, and it just feels it's just someone's edited four months of our lives out, gone." It's bizarre. Anyway, it's crazy. It's, it's, it is really weird, isn't it? To like try and reset almost, or, or to trying to compute everything that has happened in that time. It, I, I can't get, just the, the basic things. Just, just literally just talking with friends about it even. Just trying to, listening to yourself talking about it. Listening to yourself talking about COVID. The words like lockdown vaccine all these kind of really weird things listening to your mates talking about it you think this has got to be you still it's st- four months it still feels like a film still feels so surreal anyway this week is um a very personal one very personal episode but you you will very much enjoy it i tell you that much this is it's quite apt actually because next sunday i'm dropping the um, stoner episode with Steve Almond and we talk about the book Stoner by John Williams and this ties in very well with it because I'm bringing you a conversation with my old head teacher which sounds kind of crazy right but this is a sweet conversation this is this is someone who's been in at this particular school that I went to He's been at the, he was at the school from like some crazy age, like a child all the way through more or less to retirement. So he, very, very similar to Stoner. So he started off just as a pupil, fell in love with the place, went away, got an education, came back and ended up being a teacher, turned into the headmaster, spent his kind of like the formative years, middle years. And towards the latter stages of his life now, not that he's 150. Um, and yeah, it's it's an extraordinary conversation because it's so sweet. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna apologise. I went to private school and I don't care. Anybody that knows me knows that I am not that kind of guy. By that, I think you know that I'm not a. I, that was meant to be an impression of a incredibly wealthy person that um, has no understanding of people that didn't go to private school. But anyway, I guess 
guess I'm worried that perhaps you will perceive this as a, a white middle class lad flaunting his, I don't know, education on the world. Look at me, I was privately educated. It is not the case. This is my attempt to bring you the life of a wonderful man, a wonderful headmaster who truly inspired me when I was a kid. I re when the conversation starts, I recant the, the, com the, the moment that really touched me, really inspired me. And yeah, I don't want to spoil it now, but it, 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 he, this man really affected me. And then obviously we haven't, we haven't touched base. I left that school at 11, so I haven't seen, spoken to this man in 25, 20 plus years, 25 plus years. So this is a huge catching up moment. It's ex pretty extraordinary, really, because when you when I first thought about this idea of talking with him, I did it because, yeah, I had this, this kind of, I don't know, like this burning question. What has that man done with his life? What has he been up to? And that, that's been going on for a long, 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 long time, many years, as I'm sure we, we all kind of have that with the teachers that inspired us over the years. And how many of us have reached out and communicated our thoughts and I don't know what you call them, thoughts, passions, what they, what they did for us, what they inspired within us. And we always put them up on a pedestal um, because they're not around anymore. They, 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 they were part of that secret golden part of our, our education. I say golden, not all of us had great time at school. I had a, f I had a terrible time at school. It was awful, absolutely awful. I left school with nothing, nothing. Three GCSEs and they were, you know, what's C... C and a B and a C and I left school at 16 and it, it, yeah but anyway I'm sure that we, essentially what I'm saying the halcyon days of school we have some we have some joyful memories of school and for me teachers there were a few very very few and he was one of them and it was wonderful to catch up with him and I just thought let's see what happens if any of you have these sort of Maybe you'd be inspired to go and talk to, a, touch base with a teacher that that really inspired you, and to lend them a bit of a bit of a moment just to say thank you, thank you. But there you go. Teachers are the most important things in the world. I don't talk. I I touch a little bit on a teacher that really inspired me when I was late, slightly older. I was about. 13, 14 years old. He was called Mr. Jones. I can't remember his first name. I think it was Yayan. That was it. Yayan Jones at Seaford College. Now, Seaford was a very complex situation for me. I had a lot of very messed up things happen there that traumatized me. Um, I would, yeah, definitely gave me post-traumatic stress disorder for, uh, you know, and I, I'm not really wanting to go into it now. And I don't think I, I can. It's a bit too personal, a bit too messed up. Um, and But the one thing that I would take from Seaford was the countryside in which the school was situated. It, was, it wasn't Hogwarts, but it was pretty spectacular. 
the education system at the time I was there was horrific. It was awful. Uh, it was backward and it was nasty. But there was one guy, one guy called Ian Jones, and he was absolutely incredible. But he wrestled with his demons. He was a he he really had some darkness there. But my God, he was inspiring, and he he I never really understood Shakespeare ever. I couldn't get my head round it, and I I wouldn't I don't think I'm alone in in thinking that. I think most. <laughs> Come on, most of us struggle with Shakespeare, really. But anyway, Macbeth—he absolutely brought it off the page. He took us to get, he, he took us to see um, Macbeth at the Even Arno Theatre in Guildford. You know that I've spoken about that previously with Pete Pothersway. It was it was absolutely unbelievable. But anyway, in these classes, he would just bring everything to life, and it was it was inspiring. And I remember, I was a kid, right? So I'm like 13 years old, and I watched um, the Robin Williams movie, right? Um, Dead Poet Society, and I I loved cheesy movies. I I don't care. I'm a, I'm a little boy. It's what you do. Anyway, I go up to the teacher at the end of the, the end of the class, and I'm I I I, just, I don't care. I said it. I think you know you, you remind me of Robin Williams. I've got to say, I, I, you really inspire me, and thank you so much. And he was really blown away by that. But not, you know, we're not talking like tears and and all kinds of oh, thank you so much. It means so much to me. It was uh, it, it was profound. It was in his eyes. He was dreadfully depressed looking back on it now I can see that he was really struggling and he he just sat back in his chair and he just looked up to me looked up at me and was said thank you but it was really a heavy thank you I remember his in, intense honesty with us you know if we if, if people were messing around in the class he'd just like go look guys life's too short fuck you doing and it was so intense you just didn't it wasn't a fear you know, you, you weren't scared of him. You just got this intense honesty, this profound energy from him that was it was him being so raw and emotional. You did not you didn't necessarily want to. It wasn't like you didn't want to upset him. You just didn't want to disappoint him. And he was a wonderful human being. And when I found out he had died, uh, yeah, that really did shock me. It broke me. And I think it brought this whole thing this quest and that was that was 10 15 years ago I'm and then I was then I was thinking maybe I could talk to reach out to my old headmaster at Hawthorne's he was a great guy I wonder what he's doing anyway that's like 15 10 15 years of this conversation has slowly been percolating in my head anyway forgive my waffling I'm very sorry it's late but you get the point you know me talking about school is difficult I know three, four kids that took their own lives at the school, at previous, from previous schools. It's, it's not pretty. You know, I look back on my time in education, not bitching about the teachers because they were crap. Some of them were crap. But it was the sinister, the darkness underneath it all, that I knew the stuff was going on. It was horrific. But also, 
just how much you had to suppress yourself. And the few lights in those those days were one or two teachers, one or few moments to do some a bit of acting. And that was literally it. The rest of it was horse shit. And that's sad. So the reason I wanted to bring you this conversation was because I wanted to make the effort to shine some light and maybe you could learn a little bit about me, but also mainly learn a lot about a wonderful man and what what it is to dedicate so much of your life to a school. And let me tell you, it is a beautiful story. He is the enthusiasm, the, the tone in his voice, the richness. It, he is all about that place. And he's I think he's even written a couple of memoirs, a couple of books about it. I mean, he's so profoundly in love with the place. And it's great. It's great. And and uh, you'll love it. And I realise I've really gone on here. But it's only, it's only because it, it is a deeply personal episode, this one. You enjoy it. Look after yourself. And I will see you soon. And if you do have the inclination to, inclination to check in with an old teacher who inspired you, I think you'll find that it will really mean a lot to them, especially with the awful crap we're all going through at the moment. So here's to Mrs. Mr. Mr. Johns and his beautiful wife, and here's to Ian Jones and Paul Disvig. If he's out there, an old teacher of mine, he was a good guy, French teacher. And Mr. Phillips, while we're at it, history teacher at Seaford College, scared the living crap out of me, but what a teacher. But there you go. Look after yourselves. Take care. Yeah, but, you know, I was thinking today whilst I was working, uh, getting probably sunstroke of some kind, um, I, I have this overriding memory of you taking, I think it must have been your first assembly um at school obviously yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and and you did this i can't you you totally remember this but you would i bet you do you you were standing at the front obviously the front of the uh, um the school hall and you were like right i'm gonna walk from front all the way to the back of the of the assembly and i'm gonna and you've got to try and stop me but also this is like i don't know how many pupils that'd be like two three hundred boys and so you just pr- proceeded to march through all of them and you got to the back and then we were all like what in the hell is going on and then you walked back to the to the starting to the front of the assembly room a- a- again and you said right this time I want you guys to join join arms and try and stop me from getting through and I can't believe you don't remember this is so this is it's so like like um it's mad and brilliant and then so you you start you, then you started to walk through us again but we had our arms locked and so we couldn't and and it was so amazing and you were like basically you stopped and you said so that that is how you we deal with problems this is we we work together as a team and it was so profound and so unique like it was it was really breathtaking for a kid of like, I don't know what it was, like nine, ten years old. Like, there was... and do, do, you rem- do, you, do you remember that at all? No, well, I, I have no recollection of it at all. Oh, no, that's not true. I have a very vague recollection. But um, now that you say, I, yes, I can imagine myself doing it. What's, what's really interesting is that you joined yes. the school. Obviously, your first term was um, Martin and Fiona Brown. And then I took over in the January. So in the middle of your year, 
Um, so yeah, it could well have been first assembly, <clears throat> and then uh, talk it. I love it. I love it. I'll have to try that one again one day. Actually, I think that's. It's so I can't, it's so cool. It's like I think um, you just. I think you were so enthusiastic. You know, I remember how passionate you were about your job. You know, but it but it wasn't just like um, you know, like a, a stiff upper lip. I'm going to be a British headmaster and I'm going to discipline these boys the way I see fit. It was very cool. If as a you know, which is this is like early nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That cool doesn't really exist in schools, does it? Then Absolutely. like. Uh, yeah, but don't forget. I don't know if you knew, but I'm, I was a. I used to be a pupil at the Hawthorns, so I was. Yeah, my career was quite unusual, and I was absolutely in my element um, in the Hawthorns. And I mean, the only reason I came to the school, but maybe come onto it in due course, but was because I'd been a pupil, so I knew the place through and through, and I loved it. Um, never dreamt in my wildest dreams that I'd end up being headmaster of it. How old were you when you started at Hawthorns then? As a pupil. Seven. As a pupil, yeah. Seven. Seven. So seven. seven wow. Two, yeah, seven through till 11. Then, yeah, came back at um, 30 and then became head at 35, which interestingly God, was... So, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that was exciting. So imagine you've got three years under your belt running this school of 300-odd um, kids and, uh yeah. Good fun. It was great. Uh, William, it was just, I'll tell you what, my career, and, and it's had lots of fun involved in it and lots of hard work, needless to say, and I'm really enjoying retirement. But um, <clears throat> there was not an ounce of regret, <clears throat> sorry, in, uh, in the career. It was just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Do you think you've always had that, that harness, that love for the school, right, throughout, from, from literally like a seven-year-old boy? Has that always been in the back of your mind throughout all of, you know, your teaching days and, and then being the headmaster? Certainly an affinity with the place has always been there. I mean, I was the youngest of three brothers, so both of my older brothers had, had been there. The, the founders of the school back in 1926, uh, Dudley Bull and his brother Christopher Bull, um, they were just an amazing family. Um, and they just gave heart and soul and kind of set up the ethos of the place. And, uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, that definitely inspired me. They were pretty Edwardian at the time. You know, when I, yeah. when I was there as a pupil, at one stage, my, my parents won a holiday to Italy and I boarded uh, and I hated it, except, yeah. for, except for the midnight feasts. That was great fun, going out on front pitch and uh, <laughs> stuffing ourselves with cream and fruit salad. But the actual... <laughs> That's so old school, love it. That, totally, no, it was, it really was. But then, you know, you know what it is, when you grow up, grow up and you look back, you think, do you know what, what those people were doing and what they had in their heart was very special. And um, mm. interestingly, the daughter of Dudley Bull, the daughter of the founder, Gillian, who was on the staff for quite a long time, we still, we still talk to regularly. They were the ones that gave it its special feel. Um, and that was, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was brilliant. That was really good. Um, it's so unique, isn't it? And I, 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 I was talking to a, a friend today and I was, yeah, uh, she was saying like, you know, the things that you regret in life. And I, I definitely think that I regret, um, I can't help... I can't help having homesickness. That's not my, you know, I, I can't help that. I know, no, but sure. God, God, if if I could change anything, it would be to have gone back there and spent my as spent as much time as I possibly could there. It was so adorable. I mean, it was kind of like um, I think there's a black and white film called the the best days of our lives or something or the days of our lives. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like it's it's black and white, and it was shot in um, my 
old dad's school little, uh, called Little Abbey. And it was so similar to Hawthorne's because my my boarding school, uh, my boarding school days there, the, the entire the entirety of the boarding school was in one dormitory room of all about fifteen boys. It was absolutely so sweet. Oh yeah. my goodness! But you know what, William, you God. were part of a very special year group. But I've actually, I, I just came across a photograph looking through the Hawthorne's reviews of your year group yeah. when they left university. Yeah. So that's all your oh my God. contemporary, and and um, they they were an, an amazing year, uh, yeah, very special lot. So um, yeah, you obviously came at a, at a at a key moment for the school, and obviously a key moment for you as well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very weird. I don't know. It's all a blur for me. I don't know why. I mean, obviously, I know why my parents sent me there. It's because it's acutely adorable. And my dad worked his absolute arse off um, to get me to get me in there. Well, not to get me in there, but to pay for the, the tuition. And yeah. and it, it was I mean, it was magical. I found it I found it like strange to be away from home to start with but I felt I fell in with it great I, I enjoyed boarding I loved the like you touched on the family environment in that school was extraordinary it was like proper well yeah 1924 26 whenever the school was founded it felt like that then you know so warm and and cuddly yeah and, um, and the boarding then, uh, the boarding was good fun at that stage it had, it had um yeah it, it had softened up a lot and it sadly the boarding had to close in about 94 it only carried on for another oh because of dear old social services who came in and said that every child had to have their own personal space, cubicles, you couldn't have a communal bath area and, and, and showers, everyone had to have their oh. own study area next to your bed and so on. And we just didn't have the, the space up top to be able to do that. So um, oh God. So the boarding finished, which actually worked in the school's favour because it went co-ed, uh, had gone co-ed. In fact, the year after you were there in 92, yeah. co-ed. And the girls' numbers mm-hmm. just absolutely flourished and took off, so it, it, it changed its form. Oh, great! So I I leave and then the girls come in. Typical exactly. of my luck. Huh? You missed them all. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't have got any luck anyway. I'm hopeless with girls, so you know. Well, I'm sure Laura wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, true. Exactly. And I'm married. Just yeah. And it's like it's gone. It's gone. Okay, you know. But oh my goodness, me me talking to girls was terrible. I was so shy. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But you so were but sweet. The what? The only word that comes to my mind in in um, in you know since you've been in touch, I thought I'm sure William. And I haven't even seen a photograph of you as a child because we can't access the the records at the moment because of lockdown and so yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but I the, the the one word that came to me was sparky. I'm sure if I remember rightly. Maybe quiet, but I'm sure yeah. you had a real spark about you. Oh my god, I was yeah, I really was. I don't think my my true naughtiness had come out yet. Right, I was I was a I, I mean I went later later on. I went to other schools. Um, Barrow Hills. Oh my you? god, I went to Barrow Hills. Yeah, after. Um, after Hawthorne's because of the homesickness thing yeah and I, I was okay I was okay there I wasn't too much trouble I was a bit of an, I was a bit naughty but I was a class clown um, but I, I knew when to step down but I was very yeah sparky is the good word to use but then I went on to Seaford College and then I again I was I was terribly all of us were so nasty this one French teacher which you wouldn't appreciate obviously because you're a French teacher are you you taught French didn't you I did, funny enough, I was head of French yeah. in, in your first term, but only because the, the, the yeah. previous head of French had just retired or something or other. So, yeah. Yeah. 
but I, I was it's just I'm trying to paint a realistic picture of myself because I was I was just a, I turned into a bit of a rebel let when I when I got to Seaford but like at, at Hawthorns oh my god I was like this little cute little boy I Yo, think exactly that's right yeah because your second two terms were when we moved in Evelyn took on the boarding duties um and uh, yeah. she will she will have remembered you or she will when she sees the picture of you i'm sure in due course um, oh my god yeah I, th- there is a really there is a very funny story not funny but very i was almost bowled over by the nostalgia when about 10 years ago it must have been more uh, my ex and i we, we this is like this is such a random story her her, her father used to build extensions on schools <clears throat> So we used to go in and clean the extension before it was handed over. Anyway, we, lo and behold, we end up at Hawthorne's doing this cleaning job in this new department. I don't know, it was maths block or something that was built. And You're joking? It was, it was in no, no, not at all. And and it was on the weekend, and we were in there like with mops and buckets, and it was hilarious because we started getting near to Hawthorne's, and I was like, "What's the school called again?" and Lo and behold, we're like coming up the driveway and the nostalgia, I was like moved to tears. I was like, I was in, not floods, but I was rolling down my face and I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then we finished the, the you know, the cleaning of this new block. And I thought, look, I've got to go in and see if they've got any records and just, or just have a walk around the place. And, and the secretary was there. there, there I think there was like a wedding going on. And, um, and she, yeah, she pulled out, card with my little face on it exactly and and i was like oh my god i was like holding you know holding back the tears trying not to be too emotional about it but it was just extraordinary really was like for it just to happen like that a freak freak accident or something and absolutely right amazing yeah yeah so so it has stayed with me did you see the um the nepal video i sent through did you get that? No, no, I didn't. A, the video? That's interesting. I just sent you a yeah. I just sent you a um, a video link. Uh, just a t- it's a, a a one minute clip of something we did out in Nepal last uh, last autumn. Because when I when I was, oh, no. when I heard you got your tattoos in Kathmandu, so our son at the moment is out in Nepal, who's been working out there for for, for ten years um, since he was at uni, and I went out last last autumn with a friend. Uh, to help him build a teepee out of bamboo and recycled plastic. So basically it's using recycled plastic bottles. But it's, That is awesome. And they, there you are in the picture. Yeah, they appear in there looking a, a little bit disheveled. But uh, yeah, that's right. That's good. It was, it was just... Oh, man. So he's out there at the moment. Uh, you know, I think it's something like six million plastic bottles in this one particular trekking valley where he is. Uh, and he's set Whoa. up a scheme with the Sherpas giving them rupees and things for getting the bottles out and recycling the plastic. And it's going really well. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, that is wonderful. Yeah, went out and helped him. But it was a good, uh, I said it's nothing to do with the Hawthorns, but actually it's everything to do with the Hawthorns because it's all about releasing people's potential, um, which is, yeah. in, in a sense, what, what, you know, what the school was all about. God, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, oh, man, that, that's so fantastic what your son's done there. And you going out there, that's so, that's so wonderful. Like, I... I, I, yeah, I went to Nepal. I've been there a couple of times. I went there um, when I was in my early, no, no, like 18, 19 or something. And, and then I went again sort of 15 years later. Right. And what, what a country, honestly, you know, what, where, whereabouts in Nepal was it that you went? 
we were based in Kathmandu and then we went up to the Langtang Valley, which is up um, basically due north of Kathmandu on the Tibet border. It's where okay. in 2015, they, uh, with the earthquake, there was a huge big avalanche that came down and completely buried a, a valley of, uh, sorry, a village of 300 inhabitants um, oh. so called Langtang. And Samuel's been yeah. working up in that valley uh, basically, yeah, since 2010. So he then went back up into that wow. and has been working with them ever since, trying to recycle and upcycle plastic and help them with rebuilding everything. So uh, it's good. God, great. How proud, how, proud, how proud of dad are you then? That well, must be good. pretty amazing. It's, just, it's great. It's hands-on stuff. It's all very small, but it's, it's making a difference. And um, he's, he's out there at the moment. He just won a grant actually to send food and, and essential provisions to the elderly and vulnerable right up in the mountains. And he was just telling us how he got a group of students who aren't at uni and uh, they yeah. just they just went down to the local um, seamstress and made up 50 tote bags and then filled them up with rice and sugar and bananas and apples and soap and toothpaste and things and took them up into the mountains where all of these old people are and they're not getting food because of lockdown. So uh, yeah. it was good. It's great. No, it's great. It's very it's lovely to see him doing something uh, helpful and certainly in his own little way, it's making a difference. God, yeah, that that's that's absolutely fantastic. So, wait, so he did he go to Hawthorns as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. He he, and I don't know if you will remember this at all, William. But as a boarder, Evelyn will have had Samuel, who was two years old at the time, and Marina, who would have been five. So Sammy's now thirty, and our daughter Marina's thirty-two. Um, so okay. they would have been running around the place. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I guess I kind of have a little recollection of something there. I mean, tiny children, as they grew up, the boarders in, in that year and the next couple of years kind of became their best friends and they were like little toys for the boarders to play with. It was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I, do you know, it's so funny because um, one, one of the memories I have of because of I, because I, was so, I just I, my, my homesickness was, was so acute, I. And I, it started affecting my sleep, so I couldn't get to sleep. And I, and then the a, a boys boys snoring would keep me up. Yeah. So then I became this massive diva, and I and everyone was like so adorable, you know, in this whole the whole family the ethos of of the school. They were like, well, how can we help him? Well, what we'll just we'll make him a separate room. Oh wow! And so I got my <laughs> I got my own separate room away from the snoring kids it was hysterical i mean i look back on it now i'm like <laughs> diva excuse me what the hell like just put some earplugs in and get on with it you know it's so funny well it is but, but i think that was it is but at the same time if you if, if you're not suited to boarding you're best not doing it and and interestingly samuel when he left the hawthorns went uh and boarded uh a brilliant school but he hated boarding and and same thing he just he couldn't cope with 24-7 in other people's company. He needed time on his own. And after half a term, yeah. we had to take him out and we put him somewhere else, um, which worked. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, God. it wasn't – it's not for everybody, I don't think. No, it, it was it, – do you know what? It was so sad. I, like I said, it's such regret. I, I don't know how I can possibly have regret with a 10-year-old me, but, you know, I, I used to phone up every night and cry down the phone to my mum. I mean, uh, every – it, it, it was such a strange time, like, and 
and I, I remember like you, I, I used to I used to meet up with my mum in Red Hill um, on a, on a Wednesday night uh, just to kind of ease ease the homesickness, you know, or whatever it was. And I think you guys were just trying everything in your power to just yeah let lessen the homesickness it must have been so it must be so sad for you as a a headmaster a head to you know seeing a pupil that's that's uh that's like that have you have you dealt with pupils in the past that have sort of suffered from like i don't know mental health or anything like that and oh you, yeah don't forget almost in, powerless in in those days you wouldn't talk about mental health. hang on i'm just gonna i'm just gonna pass you over to the expert so evelyn's about to tell you all about go on evelyn Hi, uh, William. <laughs> Bonjour, bonsoir. Bonsoir, indeed. <laughs> Très bon, bel accent. Um, <clears throat> look forward to um, seeing that little picture on that infamous card to see whether I recognize your face. But um, yeah, I know. Talking about the boarding, and we have obviously talked together a little bit about this chat. Um, I, you know what I was going to say is yeah I mean for me it was like falling off um, from where out of another planet to land in a boarding school because it was not something that I was familiar with at all and it was all yeah. extremely strange and you know our children were very small and I really want care for them and at the same time I had to care for all these borders and for me as a French person I thought hang on a second why are the parents not looking after their kids I can just remember like the certain things like that but it's interesting that you know that experience that Evelyn just talked about there because I yeah I it it was a dark time but it was looking back on it it was amazing as well it was it's such a strange one i i wonder if there are any other people like that have that kind of thing with school the school years you know being able to actually with a bit of hindsight go it was amazing but it was also very sad as well you know? yeah I, th I i i don't know i think william that one of the things we we're losing sight of these days is the fact that sometimes when trouble comes and it's hard Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. But actually, do you know what? From a character building point of view and so on, you can learn so much from it. And provided, you know, provided there isn't bullying or provided there isn't brutishness or, or, or genuine mischief going on there, then actually through that hardness, um, people grow. Uh, and yeah. know, and strength of character particularly is, is, is one thing that comes out of that one, I think. Um, anyway. no, no, I, I quite agree. Yeah. But no, I, I just, I think if I'd had this conversation with you 10 years ago, I probably would have, I probably would have struggled to just be natural because I think, yeah, well, teachers and, and headmasters and all that kind of thing were predominantly in my life anyway, people to fear, you know. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Really you're always in awe of them, yeah. We are human yeah, beings and at it, the end of the day. <laughs> well, you, I think this is why I wanted to reach out to you because I think like you were probably the most hum humanistic kind of person at... Yeah, any teaching level. I'm sad to say that the other teachers I have in my life that really did, you know, changed me. One, one of them sadly died, took his own life, and and um, yeah, and the the other the other one is kind of like I, I can't really quite reach him. But he, um, but it was it was so it was so sad, so profound that I found out that. But it was so so great to know that you're still on still on planet Earth. One question I, I wanted to how in terms of looking to teachers and how you picked them to carry on that ethos like how did you go about that and what was like the the interviewing process like mm, that's an interesting question um <laughs> there, are, there are different schools of thought on interviewing one is 
that when you interview people, a lot of it, you just get a gut feel very quickly. Um, hmm. There used to be an adage that said, you know, within six seconds of someone walking in the room and you start to engage with them, you know whether yeah. or not they're the right person, right fit for the school. Um, that's not strictly true. And one has to be very careful that you don't do that because sometimes you can get a feel, you know, you might pick up a negative vibe and actually the person is brilliant and you have to just dig it a bit deeper to find those yeah. things that really match. I mean, I think the first thing that was really important is they've just got to be, they've got to be at ease with the ethos of the school. So they've got to be happy with that family ethos. Um, there was a very Chris, very simple Christian ethos at, at the Hawthorns, and I think it would be um, disingenuous not to say that. And I know we're all apologetic yeah. for, for yeah, yeah. faith and things these days. But no, there was a very simple Christian ethos, and that was what the Bulls were brilliant at. They, no, they were good old, simple Church of England folks. And uh, but, it, but it was, you know, the school motto is interesting. They set the school motto, love God, love your neighbour. Uh, mm. and, and whilst, yeah, and the whole school life, in a sense, was was founded around that, not not at all pushing Christian principles down people's throats, but just living it in reality. What does it mean to love God and love your neighbour? Um, mm. And and I think that was always a, a kind of a driving a driving force. So you in picking staff, firstly you've got to get the, the right person, the best person for the job. And when I took over in '92, it probably took me, gosh, probably seven or eight years to actually get the staff that I really wanted to. So, you know, I was there for 23 It's like years. a football manager. <laughs> it is a bit. It is a bit. Only you haven't got quite the same <laughs> yeah. budget to send out six million on a high flying. <laughs> but no, the other thing, the other thing, <laughs> the other thing actually that, that was fabulous with the school is you, you get someone who's just come out of college or uni, bring them in as a, as a GTP, as a graduate teacher, and then you train them up. So I've had a, I had a lot of staff towards the end who had come in as graduates, become established themselves, become heads of departments, and then moved on to you know, lead in, in various ways in other schools, or indeed stayed with us, but just expanded their roles hugely. Uh, and that was yeah. that was really exciting. So seeing that potential in people and saying, Do you know what, I think actually this school could really transform them or give them the opportunity to fly. Um, and that was that for me as a head was one of the most exciting things as the years progressed was actually getting the right staff and just watching the way that if you get the right staff they can transform the place and particularly if you give them a, say. yeah if you give them a freeish rein yeah. they know what they know where the boundaries are they know what the place stands for but they then got the autonomy to to do things and develop things then awesome things can happen uh, and that's really where where we got to which was good I don't think I've ever had a conversation with someone who clearly loves what they've done quite as much as you have. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, there, there is a, a huge, it's beyond love, isn't it? Really? It sounds like something like within like you is like a, a glowing globe of light for this love of for the school you have, you know? It, yeah, you're right, William. I mean, there, there's a passion there and, and in, in, in fairness, when I first was career hunting, I had three options. It was either social work, law or teaching and yeah social work was kind of the rage in the 70s but it i just thought no this isn't it's not cutting edge enough law because i'm dyslexic i would have really struggled with the detail and everything else yeah so i then spent a gap year teaching in new zealand 
and and fished around in a few schools and I just thought no this is it I love this and um, yeah yeah so when I went into teaching I knew I'd gone into the right thing and I just love people I mean I'm, I'm very much a people person and so yeah. having that opportunity yeah. I mean I, my first five years were in the state sector uh, in Hounslow okay yeah so in Hounslow in, in, in a multicultural borough 80 percent Asian ethnic minority um, and I, yeah. it was brilliant. I loved it. And it was a real eye opener for me. Uh, it's where I did my training. Uh, and my mum had been living there and she sadly died when I left uni. So I had a flat there or a maisonette there. So I was, I was God. kind of dropped into Hounslow. Um, but it was early 1980s, state sector, a lot of political correctness coming in. So, yeah. for example, in my first job, I always remember the headmaster said to me once or early on, he said, we don't say the Lord's Prayer here because our father is sexist. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was kind of, oh, OK, fine. Um, but oh, um, oh dear. And wow. the communities there, the Hindu community, the Muslim community, the Sikhs and so on, were brilliant. And I had a, ter a term... Yeah seconded looking Wonderful. at looking at collective um, worship in schools and what have you and spent a lot of time in in all the local faith communities it was absolutely fabulous but the state sector was straight jacket straight jacketing us and um i my specialism was humanities and i spent three years okay, there yeah. developing a really interesting creative humanities program and then lo and behold under dear mrs thatcher the national curriculum came in and we were told just to throw away what we'd spent years developing and take on this national oh. curriculum. And I just thought, no way, there's no way I'm going to allow the state to dictate to me what I want to teach and, and believe passionately we ought to be teaching children. And, and that's, yeah, the point. Right. that's the point when, when a, a head of geography role came up at the Hawthorns and, and my wife and I kind of looked at it and thought, do you know what? Why don't we go back into the private, into the independent sector and, and, um, Give it a go. Um, Gosh, and, and yeah. a lot of heart searching and a lot of my colleagues at the time in the state sector, and I was involved with the NUT locally, so was very much into the political side. And they just said, Tim, you're a complete and utter traitor leaving the state sector and <laughs> going back into the independent sector. And, and I just said, right. hang on a minute. This is, this is about children. Just because the parents happen to have money, it doesn't mean the children haven't got their own problems and difficulties. Um, and yeah. uh, anyway, so we did it. And then had five years working on the staff at the Hawthorns. And then after five years, uh, the headship came up and, and we got that. So uh, that was quite, oh, but, quite unexpected, but, but uh, just an amazing, you know, amazing career route for me. Uh, fabulous. So what, what over all those years dry, dr drove you? What, when did like to teach? What, what, what is it about teaching that Oof. there must be some, some people quote other, other teachers that were, profound you know profoundly affected them at, in the early lives and then they they wanted to be emulate that person what what i mean yeah interesting it, it, i know it's a pretty obvious it's an obvious question but it, it's just you've spent your entire life being so clearly in embedded and impassioned by it where did it okay. start yeah interesting where did it start well it, I, I, my my instinct when you ask that question is it started with my mother she she okay. was my inspiration um, and interestingly, yes, an interesting question. You know, I've never, I don't know that I've been asked that before, but, and also linking it to the drive that I've got. So my mother was, was, mm -hmm. was, uh, a very outgoing individual and, um, 
she would have been a brilliant teacher. She was one of the founder members of the National Childbirth Trust. So I don't okay. know if you're familiar with the NCT, which basically helps, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, within, within the private sector helps um, expectant parents, mothers particularly, to give birth, but with nat using natural ways in those days. So she was quite yeah. high up in that, in that organization nationally and, um, and teaching as well. So I used to spend a lot of my childhood sitting with pregnant mums on the floor, watching them sitting on pillows and things, practicing giving birth. <laughs> she, she had a very, a very natural way with people. And I guess I picked that up from her. And um, yeah, she, yeah, she, she was quite an extraordinary person because at the age of 21, this is back in the 1920s, she left King's College where she was training to become a doctor, went out to India, uh, and got married to my father, who was working out in India. Oh, wow. So she and so her parents, who were incredibly brave, never saw their only daughter get married. Um, you know, she went off to India, gave up her, 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 her medical profession. Um, and then years later, when they'd come back to England and she'd grown us four, three children, one died, uh, three children grown up, she then said, right, I'm going to go back into medicine. Um, so she retrained, uh, and then sadly, just before she kind of really got back into it, she died very suddenly of cancer. So, and that was, oh that was when I was leaving university. So it may just be, yeah. and I've not really thought about it, it may just be that, that one of those real drivers for me was she gave me that thirst and she showed me mm. the, the, the value of interaction with others and, and just facilitating other people. And I think perhaps the fact that I lost her, um, made me all the more passionate about saying, you know, I want to do this well and I want to do it for her and, you know, uh, for everybody else. But part of, uh, I don't know, it's just something I've, I've always loved and enjoyed. Even when I was at senior school, I volunteered. We had CCF and what have you. But then in the sixth form, I volunteered and taught or went into local state school and, and, and taught in the classes there. As fellow dyslexics, we both, I don't know, there's something quite unique about dyslexic people, I think. There's so many people that... It, through you know through history have suffered from dyslexia in varying degrees but has still gone on and done wonderful things firstly it gives you the perspective of the underdog and i've always been a great supporter of the underdog um because that's where i've had to come from myself and and, and, and so on but um and, and secondly you have to work twice as hard as most people to do what most people can do relatively simply um it, even in my own family now with a, a wife and two children, none of whom are dyslexic, they are forever taking the mickey out of me about my supposed dyslexia. Uh, and normally I, normally I laugh, just occasionally I get actually quite angry with them because they really don't understand. But then why should they? How could they understand? Because they've not had to, to struggle with those things. But you're right, that, that's absolutely one of the causes of, of the drive, um, William. Yeah, interesting. What amazing parallels, what amazing parallels. Talking about mental health in schools is is interesting to me. For you, did when when was it kind of like became more of a thing? And you're in in at Hawthorns, like we're, you know we've got to look after these kids in a different, slightly different way, or pay their mental health a bit more respect. If you know what I mean. Mm. Um, interesting. When we when we took over, so in the nineties, approached by this, this 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 lady who wanted to set up a, yeah. a kind of pastoral support stroke counselling um, service 
that supported schools both in the independent sector and in the state sector. Oh, that's great. So this is back in the 90s, late 90s, I guess. And she founded this little organization called Oak Beams. And, and her kind of strapline was little acorns grow into oak, oak beams. It was all about giving children uh, the support as little acorns and, and nurturing them in order to for them to become, you know, oak beams, as it were, and, and, and trees and what have you. Um, and for a while in within the school, because because we had the boarding ethos, although we stopped the boarding in '94. The ethos carried on through the school well into the early uh, years of, of the next millennium, and, um, and 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 Oak Beams ran alongside us as a kind of para school thing, um, and children were free to drop in and talk to Patricia. But it was just at the same time that our head of special needs then took on the counselling role and that well, what would now be called the whole kind of mental health side. So I guess we were doing it from the early, from the late 1990s and then and uh-huh. then through the 2000s. Um, but we then, we then, one of the highs for me of the school was um, back in about 2010, we introduced something called the Habits of Mind, which were, I don't know if you've ever come across them. If you, if you Google them, they're quite interesting. The Habits of Mind, which are all to do with sort of mental resilience in children. And how do you enable children to be knocked down and then to to build themselves back up again and have that that in, inner strength to be able to do it? And they're all to do with thinking skills based on kind of the psychology of the, the 80s and 90s when people were studying what what is it that makes us resilient? What is it that helps us to overcome difficulties in life? And there was a huge amount of research. And then various people kind of put it together into an educational package uh, and it then it then came out into schools, and there were there were a range of different things. One of them was called building learning power, uh, but to do with empowering yeah. children by giving them the thinking skills to, to just to be able to cope with what life throws at them. And we introduced the habits of mind, and and they were called learning friends, I think, down in the pre-prep. And um, it was all culture change, and it was great. It really it was good. And I think nowadays, I think if a school doesn't have those in place, especially with all we know about neuroscience and everything, they are they are really doing the children a disservice, because children mm. need to be equipped really robustly with the different skills, and it, and it's things like I mean it's simple things like um, like humour and and um, negotiating skills and yeah. Um, I'm just sorry, my mind's gone blank for a minute, but but um, you know there there were 16 of them eventually, which kind of made up this this package of uh, of skills that could become yeah. habits of mind, and uh, they, they were really they have been and I think remain really helpful um, from a, a resilience point of view, and also just honesty and openness with other people, being able to talk things through, um, and yeah, not not be afraid of of saying, do you know what, I'm struggling and, and not being afraid of our own weaknesses. And you've, you've had that in, in, in your life? Have you been able to sort of go, look, you know, I'm struggling and, and I need help? Totally, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think, I think yeah, I mean, my, my life's a bit different in as much as <laughs> one of the drivers for me ever since, um, before my mother died, actually, before, in fact, just before I went to university, was actually for me, was discovering the Christian faith. Yeah. And, and I had a fairly dramatic uh, introduction to that. And 
I, I think one of the most profound thing, profound things that's ever affected me and continues to affect me is just the concept of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So the concept that no matter what we do, no matter what a mess we make of things, there is a source of unconditional love that just accepts us as we are. Yeah. And therefore, it doesn't matter. We don't have to worry. We are loved unconditionally. Mm. Um, and that, that comes from God. It comes through the person of Christ, but it also comes through people. And uh, that's been an absolute backbone to, to, I guess, everything I've done ever since yeah. my teens. Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I think um, self-worth and self-lover and, um, are a huge huge part in that i i see i'm not a religious person i i, I suppose what i've cornerly put it as most you know people tend to these days is um spiritual um which i, yeah. I guess if you have any sort of affinity with with the outside world uh those who you love then it's hard not, and, and a deep understanding of your place in the world then and the, the significance you have and the ability to help other people around you and change other people and 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 what have you then it's kind of hard not to be spiritual um but that that, that yeah. said i definitely um my my dad was religious you know we i went to i was like a drummer in a school in a in a church band until i was 16 i used to go to a, like a new yeah. new fellowship kind of thing uh at my local village yeah. and i used to just love the community of it absolutely loved the community yeah. of it. it was absolutely extraordinary yeah. so i i have massive respect for the, for the church um um and what 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 they do in the communities absolutely yeah 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 let me let me just jump back um william if i may yeah, sure, a moment sure. to you asked the question you asked the question earlier on about the school and just kind of describe it and i think maybe it's 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 a good moment to do that yeah because ultimately what was special about the hawthorns both under the bulls and I think what was super special for us, for Evelyn and I running it for 23 years, was that sense of community. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the Hawthorns, you know, you drive up this, this drive into a 32-acre uh, site, amazingly privileged Surrey site with its lake uh, and its cricket wicket out the front. <laughs> so archetypal prep school. Unbelievable, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful Jacobean manor house dating back to 1624. So you think... A kind of ultra privileged and all the rest of it and then actually you 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 well and you step through the threshold sorry let's let's just get the the uh, the, the physical description you step through the threshold this amazing big front door with its studs in it and you walk into a stone floored front hall with in the winter a roaring fire going yeah. and oak paneling around the wall and actually from when you were there to to uh, soon afterwards one of the things we did, because it's quite austere in with all the oak panelling, was we put display boards of, of children's work up all over the place. So very bright, lots of colour and things. Yeah. But it was this amazing manor house um, with with the headmaster and his wife and children living on the first floor. So we, a bit like John Cleese and, <laughs> um, and um, that, whatever his, was it? Uh, oh, Patricia, Patricia. Um, Clark was it? No, not Patricia Clark. She's a singer. I can't oh what, no! What, what the film? Was. Anyway, whatever. Uh, you know, I could look out across the whole front of the school and, and see everything that's going on. It was great. Um, but a real family sense. Uh, you know, my front, my boots would always be by the front door, and occasionally I come down in the morning, still in my dressing gown, yeah. and the kids would the first kids would be arriving. No, I remember. And yeah. I couldn't give a month. I'd been working my socks off. 
up since probably six in the morning or half past five or something. So, you know, the fact that I hadn't got in my dressing gown, got out of my dressing gown, you know, probably wasn't the best PR for a headmaster. <laughs> but anyway. It's so funny to think that you were doing that for 20, 22 years, right? Was it? 23, 20, yeah. 23 yeah. I was there years. for five years. I said 20, yeah, 28 years altogether at the school. But I'd, I developed a fabulous team around me. So I had a, a superb um, senior management team. Back in 2003, I took a sabbatical, went off to South America, went and did some work in the Amazon. Wow. Uh, had three months, one, one term off, which was great. Um, and What did you do out in the Amazon? I was <laughs> working on a, a turtle farm. So uh, preserving, pre- <laughs> what preser- preserving freshwater turtles with a, an organization called Earthwatch. Uh, and I was in my... What, how did... How did- how did you get into that? Well, I'm a geographer, so I love, I just love that kind of stuff. And I just, I'd said to the governors, I'd been running the place for, what was it, 10 years, 12, coming up for 12 years. And I just said, look, if you want me to carry on, I need a break. I need to just get yeah. back, charge the batteries. My dad was was aging a bit there, and I just wanted to give him a bit more time. I just picked this particular project. It looked good. I want, always wanted to go to the Amazon. Um, and you know what, actually, William? It's funny, it's little things that happen now, but on the team of people who was running this this um, uh, this, this conservation project was one young Brazilian student um, who was working. There, there's always a, a, prof, a kind of a professor, a university person who's heading up these research things. Yeah. And this one one student, who uh, a guy called Ben Nielsen, who I love, and we all just fell for him. So when I got back to England, we then did a whole lot of fundraising and we then sponsored Ben Nielsen and flew him over to Britain uh, and gave him a taste of British life. Um, and uh, and he, then he came back again. And funnily enough, last week we were just FaceTiming, each, uh, we were Facebooking each other, uh, just talking about how coronavirus in Brazil and coronavirus in Europe and Britain is, how it's getting on. And I sent him some of the advice from the local hospitals here about things because it's now taking off out there. But, you know, we're still in touch. He's now married, kid. And, oh, uh, it, but it's lovely, you know, those little beginnings and uh, it, it, it worked a wonder. Yeah, no, my goodness. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm glad that you offered that opportunity to to explore yourself outside of, you know, school, as it were. But um, would it be okay to talk yeah. about uh, uh, that sort of that moment, that sort of singular moment that you might have been able to slightly isolate and pick out um, all your time? I will. I'm just going to I'm just going to go sideways and I'm just going to say to you the lows because you said to me, what about the lows? Yeah. 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 Do, do you know what? Morning. Yeah. But got two, two things to say, William. One is, do you know what? There were very few lows, but most of the lows were all to do, sadly, with individual parents and where mm. something would happen where I would get in loggerheads with just individual parents. Usually they were either oversensitive or over overprotective, or they had, I would say, unrealistic expectations. But in some way, you know, no school is perfect, or you know, we may have done something wrong that upset them. And sometimes the energy and time and 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 and, and just yeah, the hours that needed to be put into trying to help situations where the poor child was in the middle uh, or, mm. or was caught up, those were really uh, the only things that. Um, yeah, wore me down, and 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 after twenty three years, probably the most exhausting and demanding thing was was the the, the lovely parent body. Um, the yeah. vast majority were, were were brilliant and hugely supportive, and usually even those who one had real contratemps with, 
you could normally turn it round in the end. And, and some of those yeah. then became the best supporters of the school. But that was that was one one thing. The other low, and, and it's very uh, ironic that you should be uh, asking me that question. But the other low was the death of an old Torthonian who was in your year group, um, and a, a young man by the name of Edward Prickett. Um, and Edward, Edward was a brilliant runner, and he was when he left the Hawthorns, he was prep schools. Uh, I think he was prep schools champion, or he was right up there at the top. He then became Surrey champion. He then became um, British uh, 200 meters or 500 meters uh, champion. And in 2004, he was up in uh, Nottingham uh, at a university's athletics meeting. Um, and at the time, he was training with the likes of Mo Farah. It was amazing. And um, he he done his run and he'd done really well. And he was then going back to the stadium to support some of his colleagues and he got hit by a taxi who was breaking all the law and he was killed instantly and when you have a death like that in a school community and his mother was still a matron at the school she was helping at the school as a a, yeah you know it it really brings a school community up sharp Mm. and it was horrendous it was absolutely horrendous and you know we worked through it and and then we were able to turn the whole thing around and there is now up in the sports center a, a tribute to Edward with some of the statements that he made about um, aspiring for excellence and, and, and mm. the top. And we then actually bought a field at the back, which then became a, a running area and a cricket field. And we named it Edward's Field. Uh, and there was oh. a very moving outdoor service where his, his family came and we dedicated. And there was this beautiful moment where we kind of did the dedication um, and, and someone had come down, I think, and kind of said the prayers. And then we just said to the kids who were all sitting there, you know, very, um, uh, very patiently and quietly absorbed in the, uh, in the service. We then just said, just go and run on Edwards Field. And this group of children just got up and they just exploded and just started running all over the field. And it was just a magic moment when you just thought, you know, Edward would be very proud and happy to see uh, the legacy that he's left. But equally, you know, it was a tough, tough, tough time as, as death always is in the school. Um, mm. But uh, thankfully there was a, a beautiful silver lining and, and, uh, and his, his uh, legacy goes on um, cool. even, yeah, even to this day. Yeah. Cool. That's very. That's that's brought me to tears. I'm afraid. That's that was that was amazing. That was very well, sad yeah. but beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, let's come back God. to the proudest man. Yeah. Uh, I got, God. I've got. I've got two things, uh, William. I've got the proudest, and I've got, if you like, the singular moment. And I'm not quite sure which way around to put them. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe I should reverse them. But um, let me just say the proudest moment. Yeah. No. Actually, I'm going to reverse them. I'll do it this way around. The proudest moment. <laughs> for me, I think probably was in 2006, when, as I said to you, one of the one of the challenges of the school had been that through the the independent inspections and things that it had, it always had this kind of air of mediocrity about it. And we'd always struggled that that we get good in certain areas, but we would always have certain areas that were kind of satisfactory. And in 2006, we had a full school inspection we just had a, a pre-prep inspection earlier and they got outstanding in every area, which was brilliant. But we had this inspection in 2006 and in there were 13 areas 
that the school was inspected in. And in, ele in 11 of the 13 areas, we got outstanding. Uh, and in the other two, it was good. And it was just a fabulous validation, if you like, of all of the effort that everyone had put in collectively to the school, from governors, mm -hmm. staff, right down to the pupils, and indeed the parent body. And, and it just reflected, I suppose, a school community that was absolutely flying. And it was, it was, it was wonderful. It was just great, yeah. you know, professionally, to have that external objective uh, scrutiny of the school. And they turn around and say, do you know what? You are excellent in, in 11 out of those 13 areas. Um, these days, most schools, you have to be excellent in virtually every area uh, in order to be up there within the independent sector. But that, yeah. in 2006, that was quite a rare occurrence. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was special. It was very special. Yeah, well, that's, then, that's amazing work. Yeah, it, it was good. And it was, yeah, it was good. And especially, you know, for me, coming from a dyslexic background, coming from a kind of an underdog background, to actually say, do you know what? We've done it. We've actually achieved something of quality, of excellence, of all-roundedness, of opportunity. Whatever's on the tin, what you look at inside, it's there. We, we can tick the boxes. Uh, mm -hmm. And, yeah, there's a buzzing community here. It, it, it's great. Uh, so uh, that was that was probably proudest moment yeah singular moment come on to that one yeah <laughs> yeah the singular moment, it's got to be to do with realizing potential in people because that's what the school was all about it was helping children helping staff to identify and then realize their potential and in in doing it building a real sense of community and uh back in 2006 we always rounded off the school year with a, a final assembly, a kind of big prize assembly. It was either in a marquee or it was in a sports hall or what have you. And um, there'd be all the cups and the prizes up on the stage and what have you. And then, and a few speeches, and we'd have a guest speaker coming in and, and, and so on. And then right at the end, we'd, we'd have somebody, uh, the head of music would normally just pick one or two things that um, the children had done that were particularly good. And on this particular occasion, uh, as we rounded off the school year, and as we literally last night of, of, of the whole thing, these two 13-year-olds got up on the stage, uh, a young lad by the name of Sam Wills and uh, a lyricist who worked with him called Tom Ganley. Anyway, these two guys got up on stage and they, they, they'd given themselves the name The Legends. And they just sang, uh, and I can't even remember the name of the, of, of the song they sang, but anyway, they just sang this song. And the whole, uh, the whole body of people, the whole school community, parents, staff, myself, all the governors, the children, as they were singing, you just sense this sense of electrification coming. Mm. And at the end, the whole place just stood on its feet with an absolute standing ovation and applauded these <laughs> two children. And it was just magical because they were beaming uh, and they had, they'd created this, this sense of um, being able to sing together as a, as a duet. And, uh, and they had, their harmonies were superb. The melody yeah. was brilliant. But these two, they just hit a chord which caused the entire, as I say, community of the school to get on their feet and just applaud as a standing ovation. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, William, now however many years later it is, so that's 2006, so 14 years later, if you look at Sam Wills, he is one of the leading lights now in electronic soul music in, in, in the UK. 
and he's yeah. just starting to go professional. He's just starting to kind of go public in his domain. You know, perhaps the singular moment for me as, as a head teacher is seeing children find something and discover something in their education that enables them to absolutely take off. Uh, yeah. And uh, that particular moment was very, very special. Uh, and it's one that, that uh, anyone who was there at the time will remember for the rest of their lives. Oh, man, that's so wonderful. That's a, that's a really great a great moment to feel that energy in the room like the the touch paper being lit and away away it goes you know yeah i i yeah can i just add you one more yeah yeah go for it that 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 was the proudest so place yourself back in the tent this time it's a marquee and it's evelyn and my last night at the hawthorns Uh so this is exactly the same situation uh, big prize giving, lovely speeches. Evelyn, for the first time in her life, got up and gave a most moving speech. She was brilliant, talking about her time uh, in different guises um, with the borders, going all the way back, teaching French and, and a whole lot of other areas, including her amazing skills in hospitality. But anyway, the whole lot finished. We had our music and everything. So Mrs. Johns and Mr. Johns stand up and walk out of the marquee out onto the the lake pitch with the beautiful lake outside and there's champagne glasses and things out there and up on the screen comes a video shot and the video shot is the headmaster up on the roof of the school abseiling off backwards helped by an old hawthornian at the top who's giving instructions so i abseil off the roof past my office window down onto the ground um, I'm trying to think it's, it's, um, um, oh God, what was the music that we had playing? Um, escape. Yeah, the Great Escape music, that's right, the Great Escape. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> uh, it was Great Escape and Mission Impossible, anyway. So camera then pans at the bottom, Evelyn arrives at the bottom of the rope. We run off down across the lake, across the lake pitch down to the, uh, to the, to the, to the lake jump into a rowing boat uh, and then row off across the, the, the lake round a little island with Evelyn standing up waving and Edith Piaf's No Regrets, Je ne, regrette, je ne regrette rien, uh, yeah. blasting out across the music. Uh, so that was our parting shot to the school. And it was a memorable moment. And if you like, it captured the idiosyncrasies and the craziness of this headmaster who'd been there for 23 years and as you've detected loved the place with a passion um but equally it was time to move on and let someone else take up the reins god that's so cinematic that ending it was fun it was fun i don't think anyone's gonna be able to compete with that moment that's quite something goodness me that's so um yeah that's that's wonderful what a a wonder what wonderful how how to encapsulate that forever in your mind that's that's great isn't it goodness me yeah yeah no it was fun it was fun cool well i i think i think we've got everything haven't we i think you probably have yeah yeah um okay take care yeah have a good have a good evening will do thanks again bye-bye now